Welcome to the teaching podcast for Eubank Baptist Church. We are all about knowing more about Jesus and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on our campus on Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place that you can listen to any teachings that you might have missed from our Sunday morning worship experiences. To stay connected, you can check out our website at www.eubankbaptist.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eubank Baptist Church and Instagram at Eubank underscore BC. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and let's keep pursuing Jesus together. Urgent who said that a a prayer is a creature's strength, his very breath and his being. There's a lot of truth in that. Church. Today we are continuing our series of identity. Who do we want to be known as in our community? And before we go any further, I want to really acknowledge two things that we as a church are going to experience. First of all, our prayer lives are going to be challenged through this. My prayer is that we pray more these next four weeks than we're going to pray, than that we have prayed, I should say, in the last four years combined. Because oftentimes, man, when the church succeeds, the enemy strikes. And that is the reality, church, that I think we will find ourselves in. So our prayer lives, I hope, will be challenged. And I hope it's not in a way where you're praying, Lord, give that preacher laryngitis so he just can't talk anymore, that we just unite together. Secondly... Uh, is that everything that we do moving forward has to be based on Scripture. Pastor Aaron took us through this last week. What is our foundation? What are we basing everything upon? And it has to be built upon Scripture. Because, listen, as I said on Wednesday nights, I'm leading an evangelism thing on Wednesday nights, and it, it cannot be based on what we think or what our opinion says. It has to be based on what Scripture says what is right what is wrong what is good what is bad we we want it to be based on scripture we don't want to base what we do on what's the coolest program or the the latest trend or 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 craze or any of any of the monikers like that but i think everything we do as a church is going to center and be built around four things and these are four things that when i talked to you when i first got here these are things that you told me. These are things when I asked, why on earth did you come to, to, to EBC? You told me these things. Why did you stay at EBC? You told me these things. What got you plugged into EBC? You told me these things. And so hopefully none of these come as a surprise. But we want to, to come and, and be known as a loving, a reaching, an engaging, and a discipling church. Here at Eubank Baptist Church, we want to love people and love people where they are, but love them enough not to leave them there. Because Jesus doesn't. We want to love people where they are, but we don't want to leave them there. We want to reach people that, honestly, the church has just given up on. But Jesus has not. We want to engage them. We want to plug them into our small groups. We want to be the place where at 2 a.m. when their life is falling apart, we want to provide them with community that they know that there is somebody that is there for them. We want to disciple them. One of the greatest things is is, is our goal as a church is not to come and fill a seat. 
Man, that's great. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to disciple them and, and, I, and, and raise up the new generation of leaders within our churches. The ones that will replace many of us when we go. The ones that will be sent out of our church that will go and pastor some of these pastorless churches that will be raised to be youth pastors, that will be raised to be worship pastors, that will be raised to, be play, to, to serve in leadership in churches. We want to disciple people, hopefully, out of ourselves. I always tell my small group leaders when I, when I tell them, I said, disciple your way out of your job. I want, you, I want you to raise up somebody who's going to take over your place so that you can go and start another group or you can go somewhere else. We want to be known as a loving, reaching, engaging, and discipling church. And to do that, we're going to walk through the book of John together. So I invite you, if you have your Bible, open to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 7. John chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 7. We're going to read a good bit of text this morning. And so I would ask, if you are able to, uh, would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning? John chapter 4, verse 7. God says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, uh, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And he gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in a spring of water welling up in eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you are with now is not your husband. Uh, what you have said is true. The woman said to her, him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem there is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that a Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, The, the I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. The woman marveled, at him, uh, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town 
and we're coming to him. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, right now, God, take me, hide me behind the cross. Lord, before we go any further, God, today I pray that we would stand upon your word, that, God, you would challenge us. Father, right now, God, put a mirror right in front of me. God, I need this more than probably anybody in here this morning. Lord, would you just allow me just to preach this message to myself, to learn how to love those who you have called us to love. God, would you be with us? Would you God and direct us, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you this morning. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a letter that about 50 years before the birth of Jesus uh, was written from a well-known Roman official, uh, Sulpticus Severus, that was written to the, the, the great orator Cicero. You don't have to remember their names. That's okay. I, I, I don't remember them much either. But the letter had come because Cicero's daughter had died. In uh, this uh, Roman official was sending this, this uh, what we would equate to a sympathy card to ho- hopefully provide some comfort to this. It expresses great sympathy. It reminds uh, the orator that, uh, well, everybody's got to die. Your daughter just had to die now. And <laughs> he wrote this. He said, if he, she had not died now, She would have yet had to die a few years hence, for she was mortal born. You too, withdraw soul and thought from such things, and remember those who had become uh, a part of you have played in life. That she lived a long life, she lived as long of a life, had anything to give her, that her life outlasted at least the Republic. That she lived to see you, her own father, Praetor Consul Augur. That she married a young man of the highest rank. That she enjoyed nearly every possible blessing. That when the Republic fell, she departed from life. What fault have you or to find fortune with her score? Let me translate. Sorry she had to die. People die. That's not exactly the most comforting phrase. In fact, in this whole document, there is very little hope at all in this letter. You know, some kind of, maybe you'll have more kids, or maybe, you know, uh, there, there was nothing to that. There was no hope of anything. And there was really no hope of anything beyond life of a grave. And so let me ask us a question that I think is of utmost importance. Do we love people enough to show them the love and hope of Jesus? Because so, for so many, that's it. Man, they're living their life to the grave, and the grave is where they believe that it ends. But those of us who have trusted Jesus know that the grave is but the beginning of a new life. You see... To set our stage for this, we're coming into John chapter 4, and Jesus has already done a great deal of things. Jesus had already gone into the world. He's already had this great conversation with Nicodemus that we're going to talk about in a little bit, and he comes, and he's leaving Judea to go to Galilee, and he comes to this area of Samaria. Now, geographically, this was the shortest route from Judea to Galilee. But the problem was is that Jews did not ever associate with Samaria. This was a deep-seated hatred, a long-standing hatred. 
You know, we can see through the history that the, the first and second kings show us that, man, the Assyrians took power. They brought in all of their gods. They began to intermarry, and this, this breakdown of, of Samaria became what it is, what we begin to see today in this hatred that is existence between the Jews and the abomination, which is known as the Samaritans. And so there's a lot more here, but the Jews hated the Samaritans. At least take that away from this. So much so that a Jew would go 56 kilometers out of his way just to circumnavigate Samaria. That'd be like if I was going to Somerset, you tell me I'm going to go all the way around uh, Science Hill just so that I don't have to step foot in Science Hill. It's very similar. But this is where we find this place called uh, Jacob's Well. This was a, a well-known historic place, and it was something that was great for both the Jews and the Samaritans. And so we come here, and, and Jesus is, is brought to this well. And Jesus is wearied, the Bible tells us. He's tired. And he, of course, comes to a well, a place we know provides water, provides rest. We know we think of all these things. And we come into this, and it was about the sixth hour is about noon. And a woman from Samaria, in verse 7, came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? How is it that you, a Jew, would dare speak to me? Now, this is about noon, like I said. Now, let me give us a little bit of historical context into this. And, and you may have to read into this a little bit with me. And maybe we're splitting hairs. Maybe we're making assumptions that weren't there. I don't know. But just humor me for the sake of humoring me. Uh, we come into this. It was the woman's job to draw water. She would go to the well. She would draw the water to make her breakfast, to do the cleaning, to do the washing, to do all of that. And so she would come to the well once a day in the morning uh, to gather all of the water, to take care of all of the chores, everything that needed to be done. Well, that should have taken place around the first hour, probably about 6, 7 a.m. I know for some of you, you've already been up, put in a full eight-hour days of work and by 7 a.m., but roll with me here. Uh, she comes to this place in the sixth hour, which is noon. There are several scholars have many different opinions on this. But when I read this, here's what I, what I hear and what I see. And uh, it was James Montgomery Boyce who, who, who wrote it out, laid it out the way I kind of uh, think along this too. Is that this, this woman was not looking to run into anybody. She comes to a place at a time where it was, un, it was uncommon for anybody to do anything. It was hot. Most people had already drawn their water for the day. She wasn't looking for people. She wasn't looking to, to go to the well to encounter Jesus of all people. She wasn't looking for anybody. And so she's keeping to herself, which is why, you know, she didn't give the old Kentucky hello. She didn't come up and be like, oh, hey, how are you? Do you want some water? No, she didn't do that. She was silent until Jesus spoke to her. You know, there are several things I've heard over the years. Man, I don't want to go to church. Man, they're just, they're too judgmental. Sometimes. Man, I don't want to go to church. They're full of a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> There's room for one more. Man, I don't want to go to church. Man, they're just, uh, I don't know. I was a part of that. I was a part of a lot of the deep-seated hurt from Christians. And, and so I understand. I can see that. 
And so I can picture this scene, and, and bear with me for the most part, of this woman sneaking to the well in the middle of the day because there wouldn't be anybody there, watching over her shoulder to make sure that Karen isn't there. She's, she's, she's coming into this, and the way this plays out uh, is she comes in and says, Oh, Susan, her name's Susan, by the way. Oh, Susan, how are you this week? Which man are you with? Well, she comes and hmm, I think sometimes we, we can put this in church terms too. Oh, Deborah, did you hear about Susan? She's on her sixth man this week. Bless her heart. But Jesus does something absolutely miraculous here. Look at this. She comes here, but Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. He says, if you would have known the gift of God, you would have asked me for water. Now, okay, this has to be super confusing for this woman. She comes, she's getting water, she's gathering things, and we even see what she says. And she's like, you don't even have anything to draw with in verse 11. And, and all of a sudden, she's like, give me a drink, who are you? And then all of a sudden, you're asking me to ask you for it. This had to be very confusing for this woman. But he uses this phrase, this living water. You see, Jesus met this woman where she was. First thing I want you to see out of this this morning is Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus meets us where we are. This woman wasn't coming to the well because she planned on getting washed up and leaving all of her sinful life behind. She didn't come to the well that day going, man, I hope I run into this Jesus guy who's going to forgive me of my sins and I can go about my life. She didn't come into this. She came into this and she came avoiding people because she needed water. She had a need. All of us have needs in our lives. Some of us find our needs quickly. Some of us take a little bit longer. We use anything and everything. I call it our God hole. We've got a God-sized hole in our, our lives. We use anything and everything to try to fill it with. For some, man, they fill it with sex. For some, they fill it with drugs. For some, they fill it with pornography. For some, they fill it with crotchetiness. They fill it with something. And they live their lives determined to get that next thing. But the problem is, Then we need what Jesus is offering, this living water. And of course, she doesn't get it. See, in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. He drank from it himself, and his sons and his livestock did. Man, she's still just not getting it. What are you going to draw it with? Where are you getting this living water? She still thinks they're talking about water. And Jesus, in verse 13, says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir... Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here. Let me translate this for you. Everyone who divulges in sin will need to do it again. I rhymed it in first service. I wasn't even trying to rhyme it. Everyone who divulges in sin will need to do it again. 
You see, that hit doesn't just last as long, man. That euphoria doesn't last as long. The, that thrill of, of the sin doesn't last as long. There's the old adage that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. You see, that's the thing. When we talk about sin, we talk about all these great things in life. What happens is it's much like Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is taken into the wilderness and Satan's beginning to tempt him. Satan doesn't tell him about all the consequences. You see, Satan doesn't tell us about the consequences. Man, oh, you're going to ruin your marriage. Oh, man, you're going to be addicted. You're going to lose your teeth. You're going to look all, all kinds of wretched. You're going, to have a, you're going to lose your friends. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose all these things. You see, Satan doesn't tell us that. Satan tells us it's going to be great. Oh, you need it. Satan's going to tell us it's the best thing that will ever happen in your life. Because he knows that if he doesn't tell you the consequences, you won't think about them. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay more than you want to pay. There's a truth to that. But you see, Jesus comes in and changes everything. <laughs> Jesus comes in. He says, I'm going to give you living water. I'm going to give you a different kind of water. You see, you drink this water, you're going to be thirsty again. You indulge in this, you're going to be thirsty again. Man, that hit, man, it just feels so good. That thrill, that whatever it is, man, it just gets less and less and less and less until you're doing more and more and more. And then you find yourself in a place, man, you had no idea you were going to end up. But Jesus offers us a spring that will well up into eternal life. This woman, sir, give it to me so that I will not be thirsty and have to come here and drink water. This woman's still thinking this is about water. She's coming in. She's still, she's still sure that this is about water. She's thinking in her mind, man, if I had this water, I wouldn't have to come here. Man, if I had this water, I wouldn't have to worry about what the ladies say. Man, if I had this water, I could go home. I can indulge in my sin. I can do whatever I want to do. People would leave me alone. If I just had this water, if I just had it, it would be fine. She says, give it to me. And so Jesus comes in, go, call your husband, come here. Now at this point, this woman has to be like, what? What's he talking about? Does he need my credit card? What does he need my husband for? I'm talking about water. He's talking about calling my husband. It was an odd statement, unless we know exactly what follows, which we do. But she immediately responds, I have no husband. Verse 17 uh, the woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Well, I mean, at least she wasn't lying. Man, how many times do we try to do that with God? God, you just don't understand. I'm fine. I don't, I don't need what you got, God. I'm fine, okay? Listen, all this, yeah, that's cool. I am fine. And inside, we're just falling apart. Man, we come to church, we put on a good image, we put on a good thing. Man, it's great. Oh, life is so good. But inside, as soon as we leave, we get in the car, we're like, I cannot live another life like this. This woman, <laughs> she's lying. And Jesus is like, you're right in saying that you don't have any husbands. Uh, you have had six men. The one you're with now is not your husband. And Jesus points out this woman's sin. 
Second thing this morning, church, Jesus is in the business of showing us our sin. Jesus is in the business of showing us our sin. I don't know how many people like that. Most people, most people don't. Man, how, when's the last time you went up to somebody and just said, man, I'm going to get some people mad. Man, being a Tennessee fan's a sin. Yeah, they get defensive, don't they? Just don't do that with Alabama. They'll start screaming, roll tide. Jesus is in the business of showing us our sin. But the problem is, is we're so apt to point it out ourselves. We need to lead people to Jesus. And Jesus does a lot of that. Jesus is in the point of pointing out their sin. But I don't want you to miss this, church. Look what happens. So this woman had five husbands, and she's now in a sexual relationship with a sixth uh, man who is not her husband. And what I don't want you to miss was that this was adultery. By the law, the penalty was extremely clear. Jesus should have stopped what he was doing, began to shout this woman's trespasses, point her to the ground, grab the nearest biggest rock, and begin to stone her to death. That's what should have happened. But watch what Jesus happens. Under the law, she was guilty. Her sentence should have been passed. But, but watch what happens. Skip with me to 26. Jesus begins talking. He, he, he's saying all these things. I'm sorry, go back to 25. He says all these things about the, the coming of worship and all these things. And, and this woman picks it up. She says uh, that I know that one day a Messiah is coming, one who will be called the Christ, one who will be called the, free, uh, the, the giver of freedom. And, and she comes to this. And she said, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus uses this phrase and said to her, I who speak am he. I who speak am he. You see, under the law, she would have been penalized to death, but Jesus showed her grace. Jesus not only showed her grace, he pointed her to who he was. She says, I know that one day there'll be this Messiah that comes. He's going to be the one who overthrows everything. He's going to be the Christ. And Jesus says, I am he. And this was it. This was the catalyst. This woman finally understands we're not talking about water anymore. She finally begins to understand what is happening. And we love this verse, but can I be honest? Our English language still does not really convey this verse very well. In fact, in Greek, it sounds more like this, ego imi lalelio, which is a direct translation as though uh, 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 would be one who speaks I am. It sounds like Yoda speaking, I who speaks I am. It sounds like Yoda because it's backwards. But uh, don't miss this. Those of you that may know your Bible reference a little bit more may know what this phrase I am points to. You see, when we go all the way back, to the burning bush when God was calling Moses into service. And Moses challenges the bull. He says, well, who should I say tells me to go? And he says, you tell them, I am sends you. Because I am who I am. This is the same language. Jesus is pointing to who he was in this verse. This woman, oh man, it just clicked. Man, we're not talking about water. We're not talking about these things. And watch what happens. The disciples come back. Uh, everything's happening. She goes in verse 28. So the woman 
left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Man, this woman who was, who was just a little bit ago, she, didn't want, she came in there noon so that she wouldn't run into people. She came in the middle of the day. She came in a way that, that man, she wasn't ready to talk to people. She didn't talk to Jesus. She runs into the midst of town, into the marketplace, the most populated place of town, and says, you got to see this. Come see the man who told me everything that I've ever done. Man, you ever seen a new Christian on fire for Jesus? Man, this is what they do. Man, you got to come. you got to experience this Jesus guy. He is awesome. Man, come see the man who did this awesome thing for me. Come see the man who pointed out my sin. How about, we, get, we don't get excited about that. Come experience the man who showed me that I am a sinner. See, the last thing this morning, church, is that Jesus cannot leave us where we are. See, Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are. Jesus doesn't leave them there. Through the radical, transformative grace of Jesus, those of us that have a salvation experience, we are no longer dead in our trespasses. You cannot experience Jesus, the grace, the wonderful resurrection, and be left dead in those trespasses. Man, this is the truth, church. If we want to be known for loving people like Jesus, we have to be willing to meet them where they are. Because the reality is most of them are not going to walk in our door and say, I need that Jesus guy. This woman did not come to the well that morning being like, I need living water. I need salvation. She knew she was missing something. She was going about her day, 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 every day, going about her activities, but she was missing the point until she experienced Jesus. Can I tell us that most of us, this is how we experience Jesus. Man, we're going about our lives. We're in the midst of things until we encounter Jesus. We must find and love people where they are. See, they don't feel worthy of God. They don't feel worthy of knowing God. They don't feel worthy of worshiping God. They definitely don't feel worthy enough to come in here. They feel like the church has given up on them. Man, I can't come to church. Man, they've just, they've just given up on me. Sad reality is I think that that's true to an extent. There's a lot of people we as a church have just gave up on. Man, they just feel like they're just, they got to fix all their problems before they come to Jesus. Man, listen. I ain't got to figure it out. This message is more for me anybody else church we have the living water right here we have the one that we point people to the well that springs up we have the information you see we want to be known as a loving church man she's so excited come see the man who showed me everything that I have ever done. Come see this man who pointed all of these things out. Come see the man who changed my perspective. Jesus didn't leave her there. And, and man, it makes me think of this, just this, this concept that Nicodemus goes through in just earlier in chapter 3. Man, Nicodemus is coming. He's seeking. He's like, man, I, what must I do to be born again? Must I crawl into my mother's womb and be rebirthed? He's seeking those answers. This woman wasn't seeking any answers. 
Man, she was going about her life and Jesus transformed it. Nicodemus was looking. He comes as Jesus told him, Nicodemus about this in, in, in chapter 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man also be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And the next verse is one I bet you could quote me. I bet everybody in here could quote me. And I bet they still have no idea what the significance of this verse means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But add in verse 17 because that is critical to verse 16. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world may be saved. Man, we are really good as a church in the first part. Man, Jesus came that we may condemn sinners. Whoa, we hate sinners. Yes. We love it. Man, we see it all the time. Can I tell you? Can I tell you, this generation right here on this back row knows more about what Christians are against than what they're for. They see it on TikTok. They see it on Instagram. They see it on Facebook. They see it on the news. They see it every time they turn their phones on. We have to be known as a loving church who meets people where they are but loves them enough to not leave them there. Because if they don't, they have no idea what we stand for. They have no idea what this living water is because they know more about what we hate, what we're against, the people we hate, than we do about anything else. You see, Jesus talks about this agape love. For God so loved the world. Can I tell you, man, if there is anyone that is unworthy to be saved, it was me. I was wretched. I was beyond wretched. Man, if you knew 18-year-old Clay, there's no way you would let him be up here. But God saw fit in that while I was still a sinner, and I use that word very good, I was a sinner. I still am a sinner. Jesus died for me. Church, much like this woman, man, there's people in Pulaski County. They're going about their life. They're filling it with whatever they can get their hands on, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's alcohol, whether it's addictions, whatever it may be. These people are flocking to these things because that's what they feel they need in order to be whole. But can I tell you that we have the antidote for that? If we're going to be known as a loving church, we've got to love people to meet them where they're at. Bring them to the well. Bring them to the well that Jesus may show them their sin. To convict them of their need for a Savior. To drive them to see who Jesus was, that they can accept Jesus. Take that leap, take that, that, that thing upon themselves that they are no longer destined for hell because the reality is, is that they are. Apart from Jesus, there's nothing that we can do to earn it ourselves. It, it, it breaks my heart that people walk their way being a good person into hell. 
because they couldn't trust Jesus, then they're not going to come here looking for that solution. We've got to point, we've got to bring them to the well. We've got to love them enough to share the truth in love, to point them to Jesus, to bring them to that well. And we've got to love them enough not to leave them there. And the worst thing we can do is just give up on somebody. Oh, they're just not worth it. There's just too much energy. Oh, they're just too lost. You know, I wonder if people said that about me. <laughs> that kid's just too far gone. He hates God. He hates Jesus. He hates the Bible. He hates all those things. Man, I'm sick of that kid coming to church and talking to all of our youth students out of believing in God. God did not give up on me. So I know he's not going to give up on them. Maybe you're here this morning and you've put your faith, you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus before. Man, can I just, can I just encourage you? That God loves you beyond what you can even comprehend. And maybe for that's you, you've never truly experienced that. Maybe you've come from a really bad family. Man, sometimes we don't get great parents. And you don't know what that true fatherly love looks like. And I tell you that God exhibits it. And that he loves you so much. And the fact that while you were yet a sinner, he sent his son Jesus. Who lived a perfect life. Sinless life. To suffer and die on the cross. To pay a debt that you owe, that I owe, we all owe. But he didn't just leave it there. He raised from the dead. He sent it back to the heaven and he's coming again. And he left that on the table. And he said, if you would come to me, you can have eternal life. If you put your faith in me, you can have eternal life. If you're here this morning and you've never made that profession, you've never said, and I, I'm tired of living in sin. I know that you died for my sin. And Lord, I just right now make you the king of my life. And that's what we want to hear this morning. If you're here this morning, you've never made that profession. We're here in just a minute. We're going to have a time of invitation. And there's nothing special about this time, but it's an opportunity we want to provide for you to just respond to however God moves. Maybe you're here this morning, and man, like me, you just need a heart tune-up. Man, can I, can I be honest this week? I didn't love people like I should. Can, can I be honest this week? As I, as I, especially, it wasn't really until last night, man, God just kind of freed me from this prison that I created for myself of this concept of, of, of loving people. Maybe that's you. This altar will be open. You just need to come and say, God, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, if they let me pastor all these people, I still don't know what I'm doing. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and there's just something God's laid on your heart. Maybe he said that you're going to serve me. We've set you aside for ministry. We've set you aside for missions, whatever it may be. During this time of invitation, my prayer is that you would not leave this building today without responding to God. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Pastor Aaron thinks. It doesn't matter what Kevin thinks. It doesn't matter what any of us think. What is God telling you to do this morning? And do not leave here this morning with that hanging in the balance. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the day. Lord, I pray that, God, right now, would you challenge us? Father, right now, as we are preparing for our time of invitation, God, would you be in working in hearts right now? 
God, right now, Father, in this time of invitation, God, would you just begin a revival? It started here in my heart, God. Help me to love people the way that you have called me to love people. Because, God, I fail at it all the time. Lord, would you burden us? Would you give us that burden for lost people? That we would know who you have called us to be. Father, in this time of invitation, would you just challenge us to respond? Would you let us, give us the opportunity to serve you? We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.